Good morning, big wonder listeners. Well, this fucking corona stuff is, I don't know, it's pretty scary. It's pretty fucked up. Um, I'm sure that everyone who's listening has uh, been following not just what's happening in the world but what's happening in our industry, selfishly, but those are the facts. Um, So I will say this, um, I recently have signed on with a new agent, um, Creative Soul Management, and one of the first things I saw her do was to post into our page talking about, you know what, this is what's coming, it's going to slow down, shit's going to get real for a bit, take this time to work on your dialects and, you know, record scenes, write, just sort of bury down, stay inside and be creative. And I think that's incredible advice. So I'm passing it on. It's certainly what I'll be doing. Um, But on to my guest today. Uh, We first met on the set of Stringy Bark and uh, he was one of the Kelly Kelly Gang members and we had a couple of days together on on set and um, I started whispering in his ear about um, a project that I was working on and, and, and a few months later he revealed to me that he is also a writer and gave me some great notes on, on writing my treatment um, and then I came back to him once I had my full first draft because he has an incredible um, script um, analysis proofreading service, service and so I gave him my script and wow, I mean the level of detail that that he was able to um, deliver back in like a 10-page report on my script was incredible. Um, I highly recommend that you get in touch with Riley Longworth. But not only that, he was on the podcast today to very discreetly talk about a project that he's got coming up and I'm very excited to hear about more about that as it, as it comes along. Um, his little dabbles with acting here and there and our experiences together on set um, and where he's headed with some other projects. He's a very, very talented young writer. Um, he's definitely going to be one to watch. Riley Longworth, thanks very much for listening. If you are listening and you like the podcast, don't forget to give it a big you know, spray on your socials, subscribe, all that shit, you know. Um, I know it sucks to ask, but it's got to be done. We all just, get, you know, slide on by and we enjoy what we're listening to, but these things can't keep going without a little bit of support. So what I'm doing in return for anyone who does do that, who is in the industry and is looking for headshots or just, you know, some great character shots or uh, a portrait or what have you, if you get in contact with me, uh, my my uh, email address is in the comments or in the description. Just send me through a proof of your subscription and your post on social media and you will get 20% off a uh, photography package with myself. So, yeah, love to hear from you. Thanks very much, guys. Enjoy the listen. going on two podcasts today it's podcast day oh really who was the first um i just had a guy on see now i'm knocking 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 (laughs) knocking the mic um sammy peterson he's a comedian writer producer got a company or i think it's a company called the production guy i think it's called that all right but my i had some guests on maddie tires and jimmy eaton they're both comedians mm. and they won that lego masters competition yeah, i feel like i know the name maddie tires yeah sure. um you could have might have even seen it through the posts and what have you yeah yeah but they connected me to him and he's got a, a amongst a whole plethora of shit that he's into 
he has another podcast called, and I got this wrong, but I think it's called The Confessions of an Idiot. And he <laughs> scrolls the internet like troll, like there's these pages where people just confess shit and he digs through all these confessions and then puts together four confessions and gets his, like he was a stand-up comic for six years yeah. and gets all of those guys together and they, two guys and two friends, two comics, whatever, and get four confessions and do a podcast reading these confessions <laughs> out and basically, you know, just doing what comedians do best. Over oh, nice. these confessions. And one of them I was listening to was this woman who said that she'd had like a lifelong love affair or a crush on John Bon Jovi and um, that her fa- basically her favourite Bon Jovi film was The Labyrinth. And they're going, <laughs> um, do you mean Bowie? John Bon Bowie? <laughs> and then, of course, they just riff from there. And yeah. her whole, what she's written is fucking insane, like calling her partners, you know, Bon Jovi and wishing they oh, were right. there but never even met him or. And it's all based on a lie. Yeah, she, she's got the wrong guy. Yeah, fuck. Or she's got the right music <laughs> but the wrong face and <laughs> the wrong films. And they couldn't be further apart either. Like No, yeah. One's, <laughs> you know, uh, a an innovator and. One isn't. <laughs> and that's going to be hard for her to figure out, like, like once she finds out she meant David Bowie or she meant the other one, that's just going to be crippling. I remember one time I found out that, like, I always thought the difference between butter and margarine was massive in my family when I was, like, 11 or 12 or 13 or something. And then I always thought we were a butter family and I would spit on the margarine families and I figured out what the difference is and it's nothing, but we were actually a margarine family the entire time. I felt like such a fucking turncoat. I had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> so what do you wait, 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 wait. Don't take me back a second. You thought that your family was a butter family. Yeah, but, I thought the shit that we spread was but, but butter. But you were eating margarine. The entire time. Right. I just but, didn't read the label. Right. But but you say that the difference is nothing. Yeah. But the difference is massive. All in here. It's all right. mental. It's a cognitive. <laughs> yeah, one's like purely vegetable based and the other is animal fat. Yes, technically. But in terms of like, I guess, oh, purpose. The, right, right, right. Where and, you use them and how yeah. you use them is, is identical. Yeah, and effectiveness and. And taste. and <laughs> Yeah, it's all just. Yeah. One, does, good. One, one ruins your um, testosterone production and the other promotes it. Another yeah, interesting fact. The one that ruins it is the, the butter? No. Is it, oh, right. The opposite. Opposite, yeah. So uh, vegetable oil is a phytoestrogen. So it increases your estrogen production, decreases your testosterone production, which means oh. a lack of muscle. You know, if you're working out and all that kind of stuff can lead to hair loss, all those kinds of things. So right. we were just talking about this before. Uh, there's lots mm. of foods, especially for men. I mean, everyone um, is subject to uh, dietary forced hormonal imbalances. Mm. And, and for men, phytoestrogens are a big one. And margarine is full of them. Anything that's uh, even to the point now where I've, I'm proactively trying to avoid anything with vegetable oil in it because yeah. it's in everything. And half the time it's palm oil, which has its own set of which fucking is- devastation attached mm. to it. But, um, you know, like canola oil and sunflower oil and all your anything that's even if it's like rice crackers or whatever that, is, you know, rice and good for you and they're organic are still fucking cooked in canola oil. Yeah. Which is terrible for you. 
And one thing that is, has amazed me when we go down this, oh, this will be the last thing I say about nutrition, <laughs> is that olives are sitting there in canola oil. Why not just put them in olive oil, which is good for you? It's crazy. Cannot find olives in olive oil. They're all in canola oil. Yeah. I've and never analyzed the olives to that level. Neither that have does I. Make, it does make sense. You Until know? now. And all mm. your dips, canola oil, all of them. It's crazy. Well. So normally yeah. <laughs> something to ponder. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. When you're, when you're working out or whatever and you're, you're trying to do the best thing by your diet, canola oil is, mm. is stifling. Yeah, because um, you're a vegan as well, eh? I was. I gave, oh, it, okay, a, right. I gave it a year. Yeah. And um, you didn't like it after a year? Or? No, well, it was – I started checking out this uh, guy called um, – I want to say his name is Christopher Walker. I know I know I've got the last part right. Anyways, he's um a nutrition type neuroscience dude, fitness guy in America who'd had a major I don't know how it happened, but dysfunction in his brain and it stopped the production of testosterone and all kinds of stuff and, yeah. and so anyways, he managed to cure it and then went on this big journey of, you know, understanding nutrition and and why have you living longer and high performance biohacking and what have you. Mm. Um, and he, so when Lauren started up, I had been like when I was prepping for Lauren, I had been vegan for a year and I'd lost 10 kilos. Yeah. And, and it had come off the back of the first time I'd prepped for Lauren and put on 10 kilos. So I had lost all of it in the, in the hiatus between production, like, deals you know what i mean yeah yeah companies or whoever gonna pay for this thing so the second time around it's like yes this is a lock i decided that i'm gonna do it for myself and i'm training and i did it i want to say i did half of it vegan and then i wanted to see just as a test so i did um got all my blood work done as a vegan and i was never all the way right like i probably once a week or Every couple of weeks would have a ham and cheese croissant. That was my big mm. go-to if I was going to break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I did on my and then I did three months on a grass-fed organic meat diet, and the, the actual blood work didn't didn't really definitively tell me one was better than the other, but I felt better, and my mm. gains were better, and I was stronger, and my recovery was better. So I think for me, my body does need. Um, some sort, some source of animal fat, as opposed yeah. to just being all plant based. Um, well, let's start with how you and I met. Yeah, stringy bark. The first, um, do you want to bring that mic just a little bit closer to oh, you? Sorry, you right. Um, the first read through, wasn't it? Yeah, you had that been. giant beard. I did have a beard because you had you had another project or something you were doing. Yeah, for Ben as well. Mm. So like that's oh the miners thing. Yeah, yeah, so pretty much, and I think that's part of why I was growing out of the hair as well at the moment, um, was pretty much since I started uni and met Ben and acted in most of his things, I can't remember how many, but like um, he dictated my style choices forever because he'd be like, <laughs> oh, do you want to grow a mustache? I'm like, fine. Do you want to grow a beard? And I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. And it was pretty much, yeah, it was always up to him. And then somewhere <laughs> in the middle of the year, I was like, no, and it's all mine now. So you do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was, it was stringy bark. And I think, so that was, oh God, how, when was that? That would have been mid. 18, 
So yeah, yeah August, somewhere. August, mm. I think, um, 2018. And then we, were, you, me, and Shane went out for that little bender and got got our um, Kelly Gang type pre work. Yeah. Yeah. set in place with the Guinness and, <laughs> and what have you. It ended up being a pretty pretty hectic night. Yeah. I think Saxon was there for a spell, but he kind of missed all the um, – he missed right. a lot of the Guinness. Yeah, because he also had a show on, I think, at the time. Wasn't he rehearsing for a musical or something? Yeah. I think it was like that weekend or something. Yeah. He was, he was busy. getting close to the line. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that was a lot of Guinness. That was that was my first experience um, drinking whiskey and beer at the That's same right. time. Yeah. Instead of like – is that double fisting? What do you call that? Is that <laughs> chasing. Double, chasing. That's yeah. it. Yeah, better than double fisting. <laughs> was that or double parking? I was like, no. Um, hmm. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was, a, that was a wild experience for a lot of reasons. How long were you sort of already attached to that with Ben? Uh, that was... Like were you around from the infancy when it was the first the an idea? Did you watch the whole thing come come along? Yeah, I think he did tell me about it a few months beforehand. Um, not that he was saying, "Oh, I've got a thing for you to be in" or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of knew it was a safe bet in a way. I think just because we'd worked a bit on a couple of other things, so you knew he was going to make it happen. Yeah, I knew I was going to sort of slot in somehow, right? And yeah, and be a part of it in some way. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember him sending me a draft and then I think it was about 18 or 19 pages long and then he started to get a bit of a, uh, a weird groundswell with the sort of media mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think because it, it was in the Geelong News and then from there it jumped into Melbourne News and then it was Yeah, and then it was what was it? It was The and, Guardian, wasn't it? Or Sydney Morning Herald? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, through Doug. And I think it was almost getting like a weird sort of copycat kind of storytelling through the Russell Crowe one was being made yeah, yeah, yeah. in a similar time period and that was in the news. And then I remember telling people, I was like, oh, I'm going to be acting in a film about Ned Kelly. And then they'd hear about the Russell Crowe one and they're like, get fucked. I know. You're in that. And I'm yeah. like, no. But it just felt like it was spreading like yeah. kind of simultaneously and worked out really well like that. Um, uh, yeah, I wonder. I think that that probably got it. A little bit more airtime in in little pieces in magazines or, or what have you than it than it would have before. I even got that follow up with um, Melissa Fife recently. I hope she comes along. Actually, I did invite her to come. Mm. She said she would come, but um, I'm not sure if that's still happening. But uh, yeah, I went up to you know all of the Beechworths and um, Mansfields and and all of that mm. and like a four day camping trip up there went to Stringy Bark and what have you and they were filming there at the same time, and they had just been filming where we were camping through the through the marsh. Oh, I forget right. the name of the marsh, but there's these glam glamping tents up there. It's quite <laughs> epic. <laughs> yeah, and me and my buddy were running around through the swamp in the middle of the night, hammered. Um, but we went to Beechworth and. The footy was on, and we were ripping it up with all the locals in there. Beechworth was definitely my pick of the bunch. It was so great, mm. but they had all caught wind of it, and of course, I was almost at full full throttle. And what are you doing up here? Oh, I'm just playing Ned Kelly in a film. No way. Same thing. Russell Crowe. He's just yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, so it's not that film. It's uh, just a little independent film that uh, mm. you might see. Maybe. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. They did couple together really well. And yeah. I haven't I haven't seen the Russell Crowe one yet. Mm. Um, but I'm meaning to. It's a good Have conversation. You- it's a shame you haven't seen it. I saw it. Yeah. Um, look, it's a cinematic, like, 
I'll say masterpiece, but it's fucking beautiful. Like the, mm. I don't know if um, Justin Kurzel is is the DOP or whether how how involved in the the shot the shots and and um, mm. compositions and what have you. But certainly there's a style. So I don't know enough about him. He probably is because like Macbeth was very similar with Michael Fassbender. Although mm. Assassin's Creed was was a kind of a step out so maybe there was a different DOP yeah. on that um but yeah it's it's incredibly beautiful and my kind of favorite compositions you know sort of right off off camera to the right with heaps of space and mm. all that kind of stuff as opposed to right bang in the middle and and all that kind of stuff lots of wide angles close-ups a bit sort of um Alejandro type blend in there yeah but in terms of the rest of it like the, the individual performances were great. Um, I just don't think that they should have used the Ned Kelly story. If you're going to do a parody, I think maybe it would have been better just to do a parody on Bush Australian Bush Rangers. What if Australian Bush Rangers were like this? You know, it's, not, it's a parody of some kind. Totally. I mean, they're yeah. running around in dresses, shit that you know. There's there's all kinds of timeline things that don't make sense. You know, like. The prison that he was kept in is like a shipping container. Oh, right. It's like so this there's like iron container that's like so like anachronisms in the yeah, it just stuff that looks cool. You know what I yeah. mean? It's kind of like that blend that they did with Romeo and Juliet with like old text and but modern cars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not consistent. So they're dressed in old clothes, but then they'll have this one thing on that's new. You know, and they're wearing like Bond singlets that you buy fucking coals that weren't invented, you know, and some guns that far outdate like certain revolvers that are maybe, you know, 40 years later and stuff like that. So you're like, ah, and, you know, the the boy that he rescued from the creek or whatever it was with the green sash, the house that she lives in, you know, when he goes to the house to meet the mother or whatever is Mm. this giant palace. And I happen to know for, well, I mean, it's a historical monument, um, the house that they lived in, and it's a, you know, limestone type colonial cottage. It's big. It's not like a shack, but yeah. it, it's not a fucking chateau yeah. that, that they're set in with the, you know, four meter high ceilings and all the rest of it. So I just think that that interest, that it's too much of a parody for it to now try and grab nuggets of historical data from the Kelly gang. Yeah. And I wonder what the. Keeps throwing you. For me, it kept throwing me in yeah. and out of it, you know? Yeah. And I wonder what the sort of grand point of it was right. meant to be. Yeah. Like why? Why? You know, mm. just pick someone else. Did they think that putting the Kelly side of it in there was going to be a good marketing standpoint? Because it wasn't. You know, yeah. they had to pull it from cinemas. It didn't quite make it there. And then to salvage it, Stan stepped in and bought it. That's my understanding of it. That doesn't mean that that's what yeah, happened. Yeah. That's sort of the feel that I get. But, I mean, George McKay is an incredible actor and I thought Russell Crowe was one of the best things I've seen him do in ages. And he's a small part, but mm. he was brilliant. What's the what's the part that he plays? George Booth. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, um, and, he, and he's great. But... Um, the woman who wrote the article about the film who mentioned us, Michelle uh, Melissa Fife, mm. she 
said that Justin Kurzel had said years before that he was really looking forward to coming back to Australia and, and making a film with Australian actors. What the fuck happened to that, Justin? Because There's it's also fucking got- <laughs> one Australian actor in there that that that's that's a name. The rest are British or Russell Crowe. Yeah. He's, he's essentially Australian, but not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Charlie Hunman and Nic- Nicholas Holt. Um, the George McKay. They're all British. Yeah. What, there's plenty of us fighting around, buddy. You know? That is a pretty good cast as well. That's a great it's cast. It's weird, yeah. Actually, Nicholas Holt was incredible. He yeah. Was, he was really, really good. And I'm not a huge fan of his. I think he's very talented, but I don't – his brand doesn't normally speak to me. But he was great in it, really good. A lot like he was. Mm. Did you see um, The Favourite? No, I didn't. With Emma Stone and, and what have you. Yeah, I really uh, meant to because yeah. I really like The Lobster. That was that was a stellar film. The Lobster's great. Lobster's great. This is less abstract than than The Lobster, mm. but that same rhythm and in the yeah. dialogue, which I love. The Lobster had such a. It was so fast paced with mm. the way that everyone was talking, and that same sort of dispassionate about the way that they're saying things. You know, this real mm. lack of empathy. Yeah, like Constantly. it kind of it kind of reminded me of like a David Lynch thing where it's kind of like it's not Earth, but it's this weird alternate version of Earth yeah. where everyone's just a little more calculated in the way that they're all sort of playing the part. Mm. Yeah, and it, just passionate's a better way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's right. We segued Nicholas Holt. Um, yeah, so I thought he was really really good. Charlie Hunman, I've never been a fan, and I've never really understood why he's done as well as he's done. All right, I guess mm. he got successful with, what was it? What's the Sons show? of Anarchy. Sons the, of Anarchy, which I yeah. couldn't, couldn't cop as a show. But So when I see him getting all these big roles, I'm like, God damn it, next they're going to make him Bond and that's just going to break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Are who, you a fan? Of Charlie Hunnam, I am actually. I, oh, really? Because I thought, yeah, I really liked, um, I can't remember him specifically. I know he was the main guy but I can't remember his performance specifically in um, Pacific Rim, but I remember really liking that as a whole. I thought that was quite right. a fun movie. And then um, I just saw The Gentleman as well, um, the new guy, Richie. Good. Mann. Great. Yeah. yeah, okay. Just a shitload of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it's meant to be like that return to sort of the gangster style for Guy Ritchie, but I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. He's really funny in it. Um, Maybe he's turned a corner. I will, I will say this. I, will, I don't know whether it was – a fuck up on his part in terms of mm. a lack of dialect coaching because he was a late addition to the film. They actually, someone pulled out or dropped out. I forget who it was, but it was a big name and he came in at the last minute. So maybe it was a lack of prep or it was an artistic choice, but there was this inflection that he was doing at this sort of mumbled, mixed up dialect that made him sound really funny in the right moments. And I thought, and I, and I had to find myself going, that that's, that's pretty funny actually. Like I really like the way he, he right. delivered that line, but you can't tell whether he's supposed to be Irish or British or what, or Australian. You know what the fuck it is. Mm. Um, There's lots of very illusionary grand points being made. Yeah. Right. History, yeah, apparently. exactly. I have to watch it. Yeah. Definitely. It's just so definitely can... worth it, worth a watch. And, and, a, and interesting that people get so, razzled about it i'm seeing countless amounts of facebook threads where they're yeah. like this is a pile of shit and this is the two hours i've lost in my life that i'm never going to get back <laughs> and i know that was kind of like the hard line in the sand for ben um 
was because I remember when they were talking about um, they being the media talking about uh, true history being made, it was like um, the anachronisms were being made very clear um, and the idea that it was going to be like half modern or like there was going to be something weird about the timeline like you were talking about. Mm. Um, But when Ben was making his movie, he was very adamant about all of the details being correct, everything, even down to like, I think when he was reading through diary entries and things, like some of those things that were quoted from people being said hundreds of years ago were put into the dialogue in yes. the stringy bark. Yeah. yeah. Put yeah. into the dialogue. Yes. Well, actually you saved me one day when I was discussing one of those dialogue points with him. Um, I don't know if you remember, this is when we went up and um, fired the, fired the weapons that day. Oh yeah. yeah. And because there, I knew that he had, he had said like, these are quotes. These just come directly from it. And I'm like, yeah, but when you say it out loud, you're doubling up and repeating yourself and it's and, and in a film it's, it's not going to fly. And then you jumped in with whatever it was that you said and we all went, yeah, cool. All right, let's, let's restructure that. But, but I mm. knew like what he was trying to do and that's why I said to him, like I remember saying to him, I, I feel like this, was, this has come from somewhere factual like because i'm i get a sense of how you've been doing this but i think we, for in terms of getting it to flow out of the mouth on the day will be different and they were very good like that um in terms of hearing what each actor had to say about whatever that it, it is that they wanted to do and mm. um, yeah i thought ben's great to work with ben's incredible because i've never you know trained as an actor or anything mm-hmm. um and I've never really sought out to act in no, things. They've kind yeah. of just sort of fallen I remember across. Saying, yeah. And um, it's interesting because I think I sort of brand myself as being a shit actor. And because of that, it's interesting to know who are the directors I like working with when mm-hmm. I do work with them. Because it's kind of, it's interesting to get those notes from myself being a shit actor. It's kind of like, well, I think I know what I can improve to make their life easier. And I think I know the kind of notes that I need to improve for myself. Right. If that makes sense. Sort of. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. How do you I'll take go, it. How do you go when you're or have you had enough of a part with someone else's words given like writing's your your number one go to mm. and yeah. that's like you're um really strong in that department. Is it can you like get into it easier because you're a writer and you you understand the structure or if you how's that experience been for you as in can i get into acting yeah um, like if you're reading someone else's words but because you understand story story structure so well you can stitch it all yeah, together quicker i think i think identifying like motivation um and sort of like driving driving forces for characters um being like the characters that i'm playing and that kind of thing um I think it's really easy to identify because it's reading a script from, I guess, my writer's perspective is kind of like you're looking for those details in the in the sort of subtext. Mm, yeah. Um, and if they don't jump out at you, it's not really an alarm bell, but it's kind of like if I'm trying to portray that person, then it is an alarm bell. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think it does help being a writer to a certain degree and then it does help understanding like if I've read something that sort of I'm not vibing with, I can find a way to make it vibe with me because okay. I can understand that's just how they've written it, but I can, right. I can find that subtext. I can find what they were trying to convey through it. Um, 
yeah, I think I can do that easier as a writer. Well, I definitely have found that they both um, really help the other, mm. you know, um, having, you know, come from a, as an actor and then learning, you know, how to write somewhat um, because you can, you know, when it's already written for you and what have you and you've got your scenes and, and of course you've got your your beats that you have to go through as an actor about your scene analysis and what have you, mm. but nothing forces you to uh, analyse the script or script or words or story structure more than actually writing it yourself. And you write something yourself and then put the actor hat on and then go to read it and play it and you're like, oh, this doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Like yeah. if you hear it sound good when I was just typing it and in my head it's this thing. But when I say it, it's a whole other thing. And then when I act it, it's I've got nowhere to go. I haven't. I'm not doing anything. What am like? You know what I mean? So mm. really, they really they all inform each other. So then, if I'm yeah. reading someone else's script now and I'm preparing a role or whatever, I'm even more of a detective than I was before. You know, and I'm and yeah. and then that's one of the hard things too when you're at a, a lower level of stuff. You know, like um doing a part starts on Monday um, in a short film for Swinburne finals um, short. Mm. And there's like, you know, so I'm like underlying a bunch of different things and you like there's lots of stuff that gets written as a throwaway that just sounded good at the time or what have you. It's not this heavily like 20 years in as a, as a professional writer where everything means something. Yeah. You know, you can highlight a lot of, Oh, I don't actually know what that means. It just sounded good. You know, <laughs> yeah. well, let's make it into something because it does sound good, but let, give me something that I can, you know, um, inject and then to use that. Yeah. yeah. And do you find like now that you've had so much experience writing um, and and being a writer that when you're acting and you're reading something that you think shit but you have to act in it, you're looking for things to invest yourself into? Like for your character, do you find it's like I – you could potentially hate the whole thing, but you're like, I need to find something to love. Um, I for haven't. Me to act. Yeah, I haven't. Um, to be honest, I haven't actually. This is my first time acting in a film since I really took on the writing, the writing side yeah. of things. But what it has done is taught me about which scenes, uh, uh, which scripts that I'm auditioning for or whatever to invest any time in. So mm, I can. Okay. You know, one of your, um, for those listening, you were my first port of call for Eyes On for my script, which is sort of your side hustle is, would I say side hustle or primary hustle? Um, yeah, I'd say tertiary hustle. Yeah, tertiary. I know. <laughs> so what, 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 what's the actual title? Script analysis? Like a, Script assessor, I suppose. Script assessor. Script consultant, script yeah. doctor. So you were the first flows. person that I spoke to about that because you mm. had given me great notes on the treatment back in the day, back before, like before yeah. Stringy Bark started when I just had the first nugget of an idea. Just that beer is making me burp. <laughs> Excuse me, folks. Um, so, yeah, one of, your, one of the, the many notes was, you know, like action shouldn't be longer than sort of four or five lines at best and each time you put a break in it, it's a new – movement for the camera and the shots and mm. and what have you and um just even how to write you know your action headings and and all that kind of or scene headings and and all that kind of stuff so when something comes through you quickly know not worth it not ready to be shooting this, yeah. they have used the wrong software they don't know 
Do you know what I mean? And you, so yeah. that has helped me a lot in being a lot more f- economical with my time of reading Star Now scripts. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. the, the, this this Swinburne one that came to me is is almost perfectly written, and I don't mean almost in a bad way. Like you just shy off. It's <laughs> really really well written. Like every all the detail, the world has been created beautifully. Like I, mm. I could see it all and not a single grammatical error that sort of thing you know and i was like mm. okay these guys are are worth spending time with so and i probably wouldn't have spotted that had i had not started to write seen you got that professional feedback and and from julia as well about exposition and structure and and, and beats and flow yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah and it kind of sounds pedantic when you explain it to people like because it's it's a script formatting thing and I guess it's meant to be a creative process. You don't want to be too laboring the work side of things. But it's when you're reading something that's not formatted as you expect it um, to be in a script, it can be such a fucking drain. Like just like because I think you just mentioned the paragraphs being like four lines as a sort of a maximum. When you get beyond that, it's just it's a chore to read yeah. and it's like, it's not even, it's not a comment on, on the material itself being shit. It's, no, just, it's just, it's hard to read. Yeah. It um, slows you down and you're, you're in a thread for too long and, and, and the beat hasn't changed and you aren't yeah. skipped along. Yeah. 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 And I guess I don't know if I framed it to you, but it's kind of like, I remember early days, someone framed it to me as like thinking about your paragraphs as like camera cuts. Well, that's, that's, kind that, of, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, you did frame and it to me like that and that, that showed me a lot. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. And super it's kind helpful. of, yeah, it just helps visualizing. Yeah. And if you just, I think by visualizing it like that, you kind of limit the amount of things you want to say because when you're writing for the first time, you tend to just sort of like write a shitload and looking back on it, not all of it matters. No, but, um, so much of it doesn't matter. And I, cause I spewed out like close to 150 pages Mm. And that's trimmed back to about 123, I think, at the moment now. Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. In the same draft or like is this a new draft? Oh, I've done maybe 10 drafts now. Yeah, or right. Or maybe more. Yeah, heaps of changes. Like the lead is now mixed race African woman. Mm. As the opposed to Rianne. Rianne, yeah. yeah. Um, dialed back. Christopher, I had to change Christopher's name to Thomas. Um, Because there's an actual SAS fella called Christopher Ryan, who that's his pseudonym. And actually, Tim Head tuned me into that. Both of the boys, as soon as they read it, were like, "That's a real guy," and he's really an SAS soldier who he writes as his pseudonym is Christopher Ryan about what's happened in his tours or whatever. Fuck. So it does sound like a very SAS name. (laughs) Like it it sounds. (laughs) That's my best friend's name. Oh, is it? And that's where I got it from. What does he do? He's a furniture designer. Oh, okay. Um. <laughs> and his dad's Thomas Ryan. Uh-huh. So, but now I feel like I think that the Saving Private Ryan, I think his name is Thomas. So I might have to change it. Isn't it Thomas Frederick oh. Ryan? I have no idea. I just watched I just it the other day. Ryan. So it's a little fresh. Oh, um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so the, the first draft was just to go back and structurally tighten it up. Mm. And then. The second one was to remove as much exposition as I could. Yeah. You know, which there was tons of it. And I could probably still remove more, but it's such a complex story. Um, and, and, and a couple of people around me were like, just 
get some TVs with news reporters in the background and a couple of scenes and they will really help you showcase exposition without your characters doing it for you. Mm. I was like, God, it's such a classic way of doing it. And then I went and watched The Joker and the first opening scene is a ton of exposition coming out of the TV. And I went, okay. <laughs> I can't put, put a TV depends, in there. Depends on how you use it. I think it was a Steven Spielberg. I could be getting that wrong, but Steven Spielberg allegedly said that he'll never put the news in any of his movies because once you include the news, you include the scope of the world. Right. It suddenly opens up like if I can see the news or if the news is reporting what's happening, the whole world is aware of what's happening. So it kind of like it can really fuck with your perspective that's being created in the film. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to say Mm. given how broken down, you know, each country's news is and I'm not watching the news in France. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's an interesting thing to say. I don't watch the news at all, but so yeah, so that that was another another beat, and then um, you know went through and tightened up a lot of the military stuff and mm. um, fleshed out more of her story with her dad, made that a l- little bit more layered and mm. and what have you, and some of the more abrasive moments. I had a big table read here, so I got a bunch of actors to come along. We read oh, nice. the script, which was really really cool. Yeah. Um, and and so what's come out of the the production meetings with Julia is she's like, write me a producer's one page, which was a a, a huge undertaking for me, having never written one before and thinking yeah. that I was kind of getting to the end of it and she's like oh, you've got a one-page treatment that's great but i need a one-page producers pay, uh, uh, you know one page for producer and that's got you've got to have comparisons you've got to have it, it's got to speak dollars it's got to speak it's you still got to be emotionally invested without getting weighed down on too many plot points mm-hmm. and all on one page and that was tough and so when i wrote that she's and, and finally did it and, and thanks to my wife she helped me massively with that actually mm-hmm. she said you've that's it. You've got it. The page is great. But now, and I, and I think that the page presents a film that's going to get made, but now the script doesn't entirely Reflect match that. up with your page. So I think your ideas are right. You just haven't been able to convey them. And and my idea is that that the the female lead becomes the hero. She doesn't start out as the hero. So that's why mm. she's sort of second tier in her unit and then ultimately yeah. progresses. And she said, you're still still heavily Thomas's story, even mm. though I know you want it to be hers. So a way that you can fix that, and, and this is what's been one of the most fascinating things and how I can take that and apply it from an acting perspective too, is she's like, how does Rianne feel about all of these things that are happening, even if she's not around? That's how you make her the, the hero, whether she becomes it or not, and her, mm. it being her story, not his. Because right now... It's all about how Christopher uh, Thomas feels. Mm. Make Thomas the vehicle for all of the information that the audience needs about the world that he's entered into. You know, so why farmers turn to poaching and why is Vietnam so heavily involved and yeah. why has Johnny become a ranger and da 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 da. da. Let him be the vehicle and why do why are rhinos so precious to the ecosystem and all that kind of stuff. And then, and, and then we become emotionally invested in in her becoming who she becomes, and little things like that. And I was like, "Fuck, that's so so good." Yeah, yeah, helpful. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, an interesting way to frame 
the idea of the protagonist is like not necessarily what they're doing, but how they are reacting to the world. Yeah, or how? Yeah, them. just how they mm. feel about it. You know, because yeah. if you if we don't know how they feel, then they're completely removed. Yeah, and and that's what I think something like Avengers Endgame or all of those Avengers films, but but particularly the Endgame because you've got like thirty A listers all coming converging mm. into one f- film. And we all know how all of them feel about what is happening at any given moment. And that's incredibly hard to do. Yeah. Are you, you're not a fan? It's No, I'm just trying to think um, about the scope of, yeah, I have seen yeah. it. I remember watching, I think maybe a year ago, I watched all of the Avengers, like the whole Marvel yeah. sort of thing in yeah. the chronological order. Yes, and we did that um, last year actually. Yeah, and it's like I remember sort of writing off certain movies along the way when they were coming out, but then watching them all in the order that's sort of meant they, to be intended for the facilitated continuity. the push of the story. Yeah. yeah, like fuck, what a puzzle to put together! Like, good <laughs> <Right>? on. <laughs> and and I wonder how much of it was a part of the original plan. Like, I, I think mm. it was. There must have been a pretty strong skeleton for what they were going to do because they brought Tony Stark into the second Hulk at the very end before yeah. the first Iron Man. And you're like, and I never saw it till after I saw the first Iron Man. Yeah, and there's a bunch of like they were Easter eggs when the film came out, but then when you put it all together in that order, it's kind of like, oh, it's all leading to that one narrative for the like yep. the Infinity War sort of sort of movies. Yeah, I don't think there's been, I don't want to say franchise, but but a, a collective narrative that's done it better. You know, I find like even with your Star Wars films, you can still get a little bit. How does this tie into the ones from the set? They've had the benefit of being able to do it in a row. But I went, I watched Terminator, the latest one, the other day. Oh, is it is it good? Is it Fate of Darkness or something? It has some incredible action scenes. Mm. But it is basically the first two Terminators rolled together, sprinkled diversity over the top. Right. <laughs> so you've got. That's your donut. Yeah, exactly, right, <laughs> exactly. It is exactly that. It is the two, um, but we've got, you know, a, a female Terminator now and old, and, a, and a Mexican um, John Connor mm. and they just rewrote it and changed the future, And but it's the same. I was like, oh. But, but you're kind of like, but how, how does this – line up with all of these time traveling points and 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 x-men was the same they lost yeah all of their how the fuck is wolverine here and then he's over there and then <laughs> yeah and wasn't the purpose of like um days of future past to yeah. like reset the timeline that's what like, i thought yeah but i don't know how well they did it <laughs> yeah yeah i thought that's interesting that like because avengers did a similar thing um because the ending to age of ultron felt kind of empty um because I remember seeing it, it's kind of like, well, they killed Ultron, but when no one's going to talk takes about. Takes him out to the woods and yeah, <laughs> yeah, look at the flowers, like, and the, but like Ultron's dead, but no one's talking about the the city that just got fucking oh, suplexed right. back onto Earth, and like the whole plan was that was going to kill humanity by anyway. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of it was a little weak that they didn't talk about that, but then using, I think it was Civil War to talk about the repercussions of that single event. Yes. 
as for like setting up that peace treaty and things. And then it's it kind makes of like, you feel better about the last one before. Yeah, yeah. you can repair the first film by right. making another film, which True. is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels point. like that's what uh, X Men was doing. I feel like Terminator was meant to do that with um that one with the Aussie guy. Oh, Salvation. Genesis? No, no. Um, oh, Joe. That was guy, Christian Bale. Courtney one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, Genesis. Yes, the first one that Arnie, Arnie stepped back into. Yes. Yeah. And so there's another issue there, and, and, and I'll I'll leave the Terminator franchise alone after this, and it's a similar thing that happened in The Irishman, is you can de-age all you want or you can create a great backstory for why the T-1000 is fucking aging on the outside, but you can't explain the fact that he's hobbling along because he's yeah. 75. <laughs> he's still a machine underneath. Body double that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's yeah. got to move like liquid or, or like a fucking machine, but not like an old man who's got a crook hip. You know? yeah. like, as buff as Arnie is and as how much he's hitting the roids, 75, good for him, he still moves like an old boy. And that scene in The Irishman where Robert De Niro is supposed to be like 35 and he's beating the shit out of someone in the street. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Hey, why do you get a body double? It's a, it's a wide, you know? And that was such a massive wide as well. It was a massive wide. And you know the scene yeah. I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, I too. do. Because um, I remember seeing that and like immediately calling. Like, because I, I like the Irishman, but was great. that scene was just kind of like. Oh, my mate rang me up. It was on, the first Bob. thing he said. What the fuck is up? Like, love the film, but <laughs> body double. But, yeah. You know, even Al Pacino does a better job when he skips up the stairs. There's a scene where he runs up the stairs and I went, good for you, buddy. <laughs> got- you know, because you don't look that good. You know, like, because yeah. he's got like 83 now or something. And Aren't he had a fall all? just before the Oscars recently, so he hobbled in there. He's in pain the whole time. I th- well, it was interesting because I remember a few of my friends were like, "The de aging in Irishman looks fucking shit." And I did had you think no so? idea they did it? Well, I thought it was. Fan- I had no idea that they were de aged. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> um, how do you mean you had no idea? Like you thought that that's how they look now? I just thought they were, you know, done up. They were just. <laughs> oh. oh wow. It's a film. And like, I th- yeah, I just thought it was really weird because I hadn't noticed at all. And then there was like one of those sort of like really quick YouTube previews of like, this is how Joe Pesci looks in the film and this is how he looks in real life. And like looks like a skeleton in real life. Yeah. I was kind of like, wow, yeah. they did a lot of work. A lot of work. I had no idea. But it was interesting that like my friends sort of called it out as looking shit. But then I had no idea and I thought it was it was fantastic. I thought they did a pretty fucking good job. I, someone made a... Um, like a their own de-aging where they had just right. like deep faked it with old footage or something like that and it fucking looked really good and they're like, this cost me a hundred bucks instead of the 17 million that the, the de-aging on that cost. I'm sure it's much more complex than that. I thought they did a fucking great job and I think Alec Baldwin was on um, Howard Stern recently talking mm. about and he went to see like the premiere or what have you and he said it was really – emotional because it's probably the last time we'll ever see these guys together. I mean, it took them 20 years to get back in the same room yeah. together and they're all in their late 70s, early 80s, like, and it was quiet. That's the end of a, an era almost, even though they're going to go off and do other things and that's great. But those guys, that unit, one of the greatest filmmaking, actor, director combinations of all time, this is the last one. Would have been nice to see them pick up an Oscar for that. They got totally mm. snubbed, but listen, you and I know you can't say too much about it, but you're you've been working on something. How long you've you've got a new project? Yeah, I'll um, let you do the talking. Yeah, so we wrote a feature, and it's it's sort of moving forward. Um, 
show to speak with mm-hmm. producers and things. And um, it's a thriller set in the woods. And at the moment, thriller slash horror, but it's um, strictly thriller. I think. Well, I think I wanted it to be a horror. The first draft, I wanted it to be a horror, but it sort of didn't really tick any of the genre boxes. Mm-hmm. But it horrified me. I think what <laughs> the um, I think, and it was something I wanted to ask you before, um, because I was in a mindset when I was pitching it around to people and talking about it. Um, I knew that I wanted to do another draft, mm-hmm. and most of what I was pitching was for that next draft, as opposed to the draft that I would then send them to read. I was just wondering if you ever got caught in that trap, especially with um with the park, if like talking about it, but talking about the version that you want as opposed to the version that you're handing people. Yes. And because you were talking about having that one page for producers and it's like that's great, but it doesn't reflect what you've done and it's kind of like you've you've let the aspiration sort of take hold and yep. run away with it. 100%. I've got a friend. Um, fucking hell. Red Hill Brewery, this is very burpy. They know what they're doing. <laughs> um, so a friend of mine that I work with is very good friends with the writer of Ride Like a Girl. All right. That's and cool. I talk to her about the film all the time and she knows I'm an actor and has seen some of the stringy bark stuff and she said, look, I can't promise anything obviously, but I can, um, you know, I can pass this on to her if you want, you mm. know, like see what happens. And And I've probably sent her three drafts and and then called her three days later and said, don't send that one off, you know, because I've just yeah. had this epiphany and we've just had this meeting and we've restructured it. And then I've probably done that three times and the last one she sent off and major changes have been made, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm eternally hopeful that the idea is enough so that they go, okay, cool, I can see this isn't completely fleshed out. And because he's a mate of yours or whatever, or give him a pass yeah. on it not being ready. <laughs> Tell him to reach out to me when when he's got it locked. But I like the idea, you mm. know. But I haven't heard anything, and and that's that is what it is. Christmas time as well. But so yes, I have done it a bunch of times where I've gone yes, and then someone said, whoa, yeah. Oh, but what about this whole thing? Um, is that sort of what you mean? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it's yeah. it's interesting, sort of like being on, I guess, the receiving end of that as well because, like, people will send me script assessments and mm-hmm. then, um, <laughs> like, two weeks later I'll be like, yeah, I'm about to start, you know, really sort of nutting things out and they're kind of like, oh, how about you read this version now? It's like, I well, remember I did it to you too. Two you're weeks like, uh, You're like, just uh, if it's I not. <laughs> you, you got away with it because I hadn't done anything yet. Right, right, So I was right. kind of like, I think I made a big fuss about it over email. It's kind of like, you got to stop doing that. Sit on your hands and shit. Yes. I hadn't done anything. So, like, there was yeah, no reason. You were real a total dick to, about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Fuck me. And I, like think, the, I think it was just like I changed like one little thing that just tightened up a whole section or something like that. And I was like, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I can totally understand that too. Imagine if you've done all this work and then someone goes, oh, Sorry. Yeah, and there yeah. have been occasions where I've done a bunch of work yeah. and it's sort of undone because they're like, "No, I have a different idea now." And it's um Well, that's a different schedule, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um so yeah, and it's interesting sort of being on the receiving end of that and now kind of like knowing that I want to pitch this idea to it like that doesn't have a script attached to it. Um and sort of handing off the original draft and mm-hmm. then you almost feel like saying like when you when you get someone to say like yeah i'll read it um you're kind of like right so 
this isn't exactly what I described or it's like I've, I did this ages ago and it's sort of, it's going to look better in the next draft or some shit. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting sort of, uh, thing. I, I think it's a trap that I sort of get myself into is kind of like adjusting the pitch as I go and adjusting it so far that it doesn't reflect the original draft. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a, it's a kind of this beast that keeps growing and changing and what have you, and yeah. and, and and that can be a, a um a, a symptom of being on it for a long time too. If you're sitting down and writing something for a year and a half or whatever, mm. and you might have collected new data in that time, or you've grown as a person and your perspective on things changes, so mm. then you have this new nugget of a beat that you really want to stick, but you have to ripple backwards and make everything line up with it. And yeah. Oh, now I'm burping. Uh, <laughs> um, what's in those? The yeah. So I gotta I gotta fix that. I'm trying to think what my train of thought was. No. Well, so so tell me you, yeah. what's the film about? Uh, it's a thriller about um, an incel in the woods, and that's pretty much uh, who? an incel. Which Do you is know what? that term? No. That's um, it's it's short term for involuntary celibate, and so it's a particular oh. breed of uh, a. Well, I shouldn't say breed, but it's a it's a kind of person who like through circumstances that they deem um aren't their own fault, involuntary. They're celibate. Um or they had their nuts cut off or something. No, it's like a victim <laughs> uh, some it's it's like a victim of society kind okay. of uh, kind of mentality that exists and there's a there's a big subculture of sort of incels. Really? Who yeah, man. Here in Australia? You, I'll send you a link. Uh, oh, wow. they're they're global. They're Shit. everywhere. Um, your neighbors could be an incel hmm. and yeah, it's, it's just an interesting subculture of like, like some of them sort of hold up the two values that sort of like guide being an incel, which is that, you know, the only way to escape in seldom in seldom is the, yeah. Um, the only way to escape is to, you know, have sex, get married or die. Like those are the only three guiding principles they have to escape sort of this torture of not having sex. Um, Jesus. but at the same time, that same group of people can define, um, they can define marriage as like a legalized form of prostitution. So it's this, it's this interesting sort of subculture that. It's a belief system. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go so far as like a religion. No. Um, but it is, it is a way that people sort of define themselves. Um, and I just found it a really interesting sort of like that that paradox of kind of of needing of of needing women to sort of satisfy this thing that they feel is holding them back from being i guess a full complete person yeah okay but also chastising women at the same time it's just this this weird middle ground that they sort of decide to live in and um yeah i found it quite quite interesting sort of dissecting that sort of world and that's at the forefront of cuz i feel like you've had a you were, you've been working on a couple of things yeah, that's one of the things I've been working on. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of dominating most of my time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I should probably start talking about incels. I'm probably talking a bit out of school. Um, <laughs> oh, as sad an attempt as that was to sound cool. Right, yeah. right, right, right. I'm yeah. so not an incel. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so that's one of my projects. Yes, um, you can only say so much about it. Um, people will just have to to wait around and, and see where it goes from here, but it's it's in a good place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is great because there'll 
for one day we'll look back on this podcast and and say, oh, that was right before this great thing happened. And that's kind of um, the premise for this this podcast. Well, my hope is that all these different artists will come through and they'll be fleshing out these ideas or they'll be on the brink of something great happening and talking about this thing and then there'll be this catalogue of Mm. whomever has gone on and made it and go, that was that time back then where I was just on right seconds before this great thing happened and there's proof of this conversation that happened and or an idea that was floated or even um, like one of my guests once was on the brink of of getting enough cash to make her feature film mm. and after the podcast she contacted me to to come in for an audition and I made it through to the final round and you know I didn't it wasn't the right yeah. guy um but I thought what a great like look back if that conversation happened and re- recorded and, and it is out there and then went on and did this film and it picked up an award or something like that like a lot of that stuff hap- just happens behind closed doors and no one sees yeah. it you know yeah. So what my what I'm really trying to say is yes I will be in your film <laughs> no problems. <laughs> well, yes. There's only three roles so I think I feel like it was a, a limited cast on this one. Yeah, and I was going to take one. Oh yeah. So I think you got a chance. Hey, 50/50. that's really cool though. Yeah. Ah, uh, I say that, but I mean really it's out of my hands. It's out of your hands. Yeah. Do you want to do that though? Like do you really want to do that? Like I don't mean like. Um, are you sure you want to do that? I'm like I'm excited <laughs> that you want to do um, that. I think I think I do, but at the same time, like I don't know. Since I've started sort of really focusing on writing um, films and trying to get that thing going, um, all of my dreams are sort of being a writer director, <laughs> acting in it. Um, if the barrier, if the one thing holding back one of my films from getting made is me in it or me directing it, or Done. Whatever, like, yeah. yeah, I'm willing to cut a lot of fat being myself, just 100%. to just to see it get done. Get done. Yeah. Um, what 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 are you not prepared to do in order to get it done, or um, anything done? Let's just say anything. I mean, at the the very last thing that I sort of want to lose is having my name on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, just take it all. Just yeah, yeah you yeah. know. Um, That's happened to a friend of mine, and he's gone from writing this whole thing, finding a producer, then putting him through to another production company, which is Chinese, them going, if you want the 10 mil to make this, then it's going to be this. And then, oh, no, we don't like that. Then it's this. Mm. And now you're not acting in it and it's this. And now you're just an assistant writer, but here's your 60 grand and actually you're not even on the credits anymore. Yeah. No, thanks. No. Yeah, I think that would suck. Um, that, that's a very loose description of what I think happened. And I haven't spoken to him for a while, but that was a general gist that I got. He was like, be very careful and, 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 you know, to the point of having a lawyer or something before you get to that final stage so that you're protected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's terrifying. And I think it's, it's weird because you do see like some of those big Hollywood films that have sort of been rewritten for years and years and years and then they finally do come out and they have like eight or nine writers mm. sort of being credited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if like how many of those, like if it's eight or nine being credited, if there's like 20 that sort of got lost along right. the way and weren't yeah. lost their credit. Um, but, yeah, no, that would be terrifying. I think what's good for your mate though is that he uh, he still got paid. Like So, Seb, you know, I haven't spoken mm. to him. I think the payment was coming. 
I'm not sure where he's at uh, with that, but I know it's been a shit show. Yeah. A total shit show. Mm. And because, um, you know, as I per, per, um, persevere with the park and what have you, um, of course, because I'm an actor, I want to play the lead. And, you know, the people around you who are championing, championing you on and what have you are like, but yeah, but buddy, like, I mean, it's going to be hard enough for you to get this made, let alone convincing them that you should play the lead. I mean, you might have to drop that one. And in the beginning I was like, fuck them. I'm fucking <laughs> Stallone. I can fucking be in my own <laughs> film and hold out and rah, rah, rah. And for me that line would be that I that I wasn't acting in it because mm. I don't want to be a writer. I don't want to be someone at a desk writing. You know, it's yeah. cool if I'm writing in order for me to act in something, great. But to not act in something I've written, no can do. You know, yeah. like I've got to be in it. So that would be my negotiation. I'd rather, you know, forego getting paid and still get to act in it. Do you yeah. know? Or, or- and that's a, that's a hero's story, that one. Yes. Yeah. I forfeited the paycheck just <laughs> to make magic. Yeah. Um, um yeah, that's that's interesting. And I think it's like I think it comes back to sort of like having to find something to invest in when you're writing um or when you're reading something that you're going to act in it's kind of like you've spent so much time investing sort of not only the time to write this thing and all of the emotions that come with that, but you saw yourself from the very start as yes. the character and that's how you that's kind of how you got it done in a way. That's how you right? get it done yeah. and that's probably the 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 thing that will help you continue to get it done is if is if when they read that page and you go I'm that guy they go oh yeah I can totally see that mm. you know if you write something that's so far removed from you because you want to live this alter ego game over you know yeah. I'm sorry buddy but you're you know 90 pounds and 55 <laughs> you're not 64 and 200 mm. you know like- the studio pays for the weightlifting it yeah. pays for the trainer the chef. For, yeah, maybe. Not it'll, for a first-time comer who's, who's <laughs> just getting over the line. Um, mm. and, I, and I often wonder in my mind, like, you know, you play out scenarios and what have you and conversations. Oh, well, maybe I would do this or I'd do this to get it done. But I wonder because, like, if I was going to play, if they said, okay, cool, you could, you know, pitch us on why you should play the lead. Mm. My, my negotiation would be, like, I would – I would be happy, and I don't even know if this is a thing, you know, if this is what has been done in the past or whatever. Like if you pay for my acting coach and my travel and food, done. You, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I would feel a hell of a lot confident if I had a coach with me the whole way. I don't know that I'll ever do anything of any real caliber without one. Mm. Um, but that's how I feel I could get over the line is make it inexpensive for them and, and and I've always planned if this film gets made that the, the female lead is the one who's getting the money and the mm. one that carries the film and right. has got the name. Do you know what I mean? And, and you're probably more likely to find, well, I, I if I was a producer, I'd be looking for someone who was a <clears throat> heavily involved in the cause already. Yeah, you yeah. You know, anti-poaching or animal rights and, and what have you and they, you know, they'll do it for next to nothing just because they believe in it or whatever yeah but that's in the hands of a good producer hopefully julia 
you, <laughs> you can make this happen. Um, well, that's great. So you, you've got that percolating away. Yeah, so I think that's, that's, uh, that is percolating. That's the word. And, um, I mean, my, my plan for the year was hopefully to shoot a short film uh, in November as a proof of concept for another idea. Oh, cool. Um, Can you talk about that one? Yeah, because it tell me. It's, uh, barely exists. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I mean, the, the, the core concept is that it's a time travel movie. Um, awesome. And the time machine is a gun. Okay. And the only way to use it, the only way to travel through time is to put the gun to your head and, and, and shoot yourself. Um, <laughs> so like a, okay, yeah. yeah. Deer hunter versus meets, meets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And it is, it is like a revolver. So I think like the amount of time jumps you can do sort of. Um, Depending on the amount of bullets. Yeah, yeah. it's ammunition based. And so that's kind of like the core concept that I want to build up um, into a feature. Uh, but my, my plan was to, to shoot a short film earlier this year and that sort of fell through. Um, so I would like to shoot just something, like to write and direct a short of any kind really. Um, Have you directed before? No. So that's no. awesome. Yeah, so just to give that a crack. Um because I think I've sort of been pooling all of the advice from like the directors I know and you get such a weird range of information on how to direct um, that it's interesting. Everyone's And it comes back to sort of like when I was acting in things and I get notes from directors that I did like and then I get notes that I didn't like and it's kind of like, well, I want to be more like you and less like you. I think you probably want to be an actor's director. Mm. Yeah, because you're quite vocal. Yeah, right. I don't think that you're going to be the guy who sits back and tells someone else to go over there and tell them this and that. And and you'll be thinking about it from a dialogue story point, not from a compositional point or all oh, the light and this and this and this and this is how we'll mm. convey the story. I imagine, I could be wrong, but you would be in there with the actor. Okay, so now this is the moment where this is we're at the top of the arc here. And this is what, you know, is really compounding this feeling for them. And if this doesn't, hit fucking critical mass here, then we have no reason why she does this thing here, mm. like da 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 you know, that kind of um like called side coaching or what have you, where you actually have a conversation with that actor and, and flesh it out with them. Mm. Um that's my favorite kind yeah. of director anyways. And that's yeah, how okay. I feel so that's you- where you'd prefer like as an actor. hundred percent. hundred percent. The best the best acting coaches that I've had because I've never had a director like uh, like the acting coaches that have had the most amount of impact on me because they've all been low tier, you know, they're yeah. newcomers, you know, which is fine. That's that's part of the deal. But like my acting coach, Miles Pollard, is a fucking magician at just like not calling cut, just creeping in, whispering in your ear all the shit that you need to hear just mm. to get you to that next place. And it is the best for me. I fucking love that. I'm really someone who thrives on good direction. I don't need to take it away. Do you know what I mean? Like I will if it's not happening, (laughs) but I would rather someone be so all over it that they know exactly how to take me where I need to go. Yeah. So because the universal thing that I've heard is that you don't tell them you don't tell the actor the emotion that they're meant to feel. Like you don't come up and say you're scared, you're terrified. No, that's true. Like that's what you're avoiding. So what a like what don't not an example. Let but them like, what, answer it. 
So right. like let's if you're not feeling like they're really scared, um, you, you create like a scenario sort of like, okay, so if, what's just sometimes you just need to ask them the, the script analysis questions that they haven't done themselves. So what's actually happening here? Well, um, my daughter just had a, her throat slit by this stranger, hmm. right? How's that make you feel if that was your your daughter? What do you what do you think is? How would you respond to that? Oh, I'd be terrified. Brilliant. Show me that. And mm. then it's like they've just given you the oh, I just thought of it. Yeah. So the actor will go oh yeah, terrified. I've got that. But so you it's go, almost give me happy. <laughs> Fuck off. You know, like so. And then like because you need. So and, and and once again, for me, if if I work it out myself, even if I'm guided, I'm so much more likely for it to be embedded. You know, mm. like if I'm learning something new or I've got a take on a scene, I will say, can I just give you my take? And it could be totally wrong. But if it's right, then you it's, it. It, it, I've <laughs> got it. It's really, really in me, mm. you know, instead of me just going, you tell me and me sitting there listening to you tell me this whole thing that was or wasn't what I was already thinking. So when you allow them, allow someone to work it out themselves, then they really get it, mm. you know. And it also depends on their training, you know, whether they're, they've been trained in like traditional techniques of sensory exercises or, um, you know, deep, like that whole sort of Stanislavski kind of deep childhood trauma type shit or... Yeah. If you're someone like me who's more trained in the um, biological, physiological style of acting, you mm. know, so if I was being coached or, or directed by someone from PEM, which is the school I did my most recent training, they might say to me, you know, like, what's happening in this scene? Well, she just cheated on me, so I'm really pissed off, so I'm really angry. Cool. Okay, so you're really angry. What, what is the organ that activates anger? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, it's the liver. And then I'll do my technique for activating that physiological response. I don't have to dig up any kind of trauma or whatever yeah. to get angry. Because that was going to be my question is I understand, like as a, as a shit actor, I understand sort of the motivation and the emotion that I'm meant to be getting to in certain scenes. But then it's bridging the gap between my actual emotions at the time, which, you know, normal mm -hmm. yeah, medium yeah. like fine yeah yeah um and then getting to that point where i'm you know my daughter's throat's been slit in front of me like it's sort of bridging that gap is mm -hmm. is what's lost so you reckon it's it's a body that's that's well, the way you do it that's the way that i do it um because like in order for you to feel any kind of emotion, there's a, there's a chemical reaction that happens in your brain and your body, right? Your brain, your pineal gland or your prefrontal cortex or, or whatever sends out a signal to the rest of your, your body that stimulates hormones, cortisol or dopamine or whatever, mm. and that elicits a physical reaction. So for anger, your physical reaction is to move forward. And then your 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 brow comes down and your teeth come out as an exaggerated version of that. Mm. But that's the physical response to anger. And it's your brain sends the hormones down through your liver and then up through your blood vessels. And that's what 
activates. The Chinese call it qi. They've been mm. dialing into this for thousands and thousands of years. But that's not for everyone. You know, some people need, they need to have that connection to all of them real scenarios that have happened in their lives and channel that anger towards their dad at the actor or whatever. I'm a firm believer of whatever gets the fucking job done, just so yeah. long as you don't want to slit your wrists at the end of it. You know? Yeah, and that's the... <laughs> so if you're directing, it's good to, I think, I mean, if I was going to direct something or I wanted to be as big a director or as big a percentage of my time as a director as I was an actor, I would want to know everyone's technique and I'd want to have every understanding of, of multiple techniques so I knew how to best talk to that actor. Yeah. So what is there a name for the, the technique that you use? It's called the Perticamp Emotional Method. Right. Um, and that one school in the Southern Hemisphere, it's in Melbourne. Um, and so I did three emotions. I haven't yet to finish the rest of the course. Um, and I did anger, joy, and despair. Mm. And there's different, what they call masks, how your face reacts. But when I was at Tafta, uh, John taught us an emotions class for two weeks and he taught us how to cry without any kind of dialogue. Just, yeah. just make your body do what it does when it cries. And it will just, you can just keep those tears running for fucking minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. And it's like a meditative thing and a breathing thing. There's Because that's what you forget, you know, if you can't do it for real, like if I can't be genuinely upset at something, you, you have to mimic what your body is doing at that time. So, well, what does my body do when I'm crying? Well, typically your breathing will change, your posture will change, your, mm. your face will change. So if you do all of those three things and you can connect to whatever that internal part of your body that makes tears happen, there they are. Mm. You know, if you smile and put your put your hands out like this and look up at the sky, it elicits a hormonal change that produces dopamine, and you can you can redirect cortisol by doing that. It's just a physiological thing. You don't have to think about anything. You know, oh, rainbows, whatever the yeah. fuck, you know. <laughs> just do those three things and it will change mm. internally. So it's a different um, school of thought and it's and it's um, a bottomless well. Do yeah. you know what I mean? So you're getting into take 50 and you're still having to produce tears. If you can just as long as you stay hydrated, for example, yeah. <laughs> you can constantly produce tears. Like when you think of a of, of a an event in your life that was traumatic, there's only so many times you can do it. And I like because I wonder how many times you can reframe that for different roles. Like or, or, the yeah. traumatic memory. You depends like, how traumatic it was and how undealt yeah, with how it juicy. is. Right. Uh. If, it's, if, so, if you haven't seen a shrink over that and you, it's unresolved, maybe it's bottomless. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it fucks you up, you know. Well, um, yeah, it would. It's, yeah, the yeah. first time I was ever forced to cry through a memory didn't feel great. Yeah. You know, like, and I was like, yeah, oh, God. <laughs> I'm thinking about that person for the next two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this other way. And then you do a shake-off method. It's all just about funneling energy and redirecting it. Is this before or after you do the scene with 
Both. Okay, right. They do this kind of in the in that it's I can't do it now, but you're standing up and you sort of go up onto your tippy toes and then just let your weight hit the floor oh, and you right. oh. and it's just like expelling anything is there so you're a blank canvas. It's oh, like okay. cleaning the paint off the palette and restarting. And you do that after a heavy scene and I shit you not, it is all gone. You, it's not like you forgot that you were crying, but you, there is nothing that you carry over with you. Yeah. And you feel great. Yeah. Mm. So this one seems to make the most sense as like a, is it, is it Meisner? Because you mentioned Stanislavski. Meisner's the other sort of main one. As an Meisner's the big one. And yeah. what sort of separates that from, from the other acting schools? I don't have an extensive um, training in Meisner, but it was the first technique that I learned and that's through Miles Pollard. And mm. I don't know what the title of or, or how the, the descriptive words that, yeah. that, 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 that a trained Meisner technician would use. But my, my training in Meisner is, is what they call like a um, – I forget the name of it, but you stand you stand in front of the other actor, and and it's it's all about um, putting putting everything onto them and being observed. Uh, I think I know. Is it when you repeat the same thing? The and- repetition technique. That's its repetition technique. Yeah. Yeah. And so it allows you it, it de I don't want to say demystifies, but it breaks down the before and after cut or act before and after action. So that I can have this conversation with you now, like 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 that we are talking, and mm. then when action goes in there, and you say, "Yeah, I don't really like you anymore," and it's that <laughs> same change as opposed to talking like this, "I don't like you anymore." Action, yeah. you know what I mean? It helps you make that transition to make it more natural and more real, and it also allows it teaches you to really, really watch and be observant and mm. react. It's all about reacting. I mean, acting is reacting, but that's it's heavily centered in in watching yeah right um because that can be you know when you're nervous and you or you fucking just just don't forget my lines don't forget my lines you're not watching anymore you're just yep she's finished he's finished my line your line my line you know yeah instead of and when because when you're really really watching and really really connected if if something fucks up or it goes a different way or whatever you just respond just just yeah. innately, you know. When I started doing PEM, I did it straight after Stringy Bark and something happened on Stringy Bark which had never happened to me before and I really hold on to this one because it was, it was like one of those kind of breakthroughs or epiphanies and we came to the last scene where I kill Kennedy mm. and – that's not a spoiler because it's history. It's history, exactly. <laughs> the Titanic sinks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and I kneel down, you know, when we come over and he's like, you were trying to murder us. And he goes, what happened to Lonergan or whatever? And he, and he calls me a, a cowardly cunt. Mm. Like in, my planning for months and months and months was just to be like, yeah, well, like really – casual about it like I've got him at my feet now I'm ready to go but when he said it on that day and I'd never heard him say it before he said it with such venom that my like instinct was to charge at him and scream at him and I'd never done that before Mm. and so in the first like rehearsal of that blocking scene everyone was like whoa I was like whoa 
do that. Yeah. And that was that anger driving me forward, that the physical reaction to anger was to move forward. And I was like, oh. And then when I was in the class and they were talking about it, I was like, oh, wow, this has just happened to me. And I've never had that happen before. Everything's always been so so structured and so planned and every beat was, you know, filled with nerves and a lack of that yeah. total freedom, you know. And that was hands down my my one of my most favourite acting moments, like, you know, when you feel like you were there, present, as as present as possible for that little sweet moment. Yeah. Yeah. That was that. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty good. It was really, a, really good. That's a good, <laughs> that's, <laughs> a good that's a good magic moment. Yeah, yeah. It was it was great. And 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 I'm glad that it made the film and I'm glad that they they loved it. And mm. you not love you know, I mean like, yeah, they loved it. Yeah. But <laughs> it, that it worked. And ever and I mean it's in the film. It they liked the, it a the, little. Well, like, I, they didn't get any know. other options either. <laughs> you didn't give them to them. Well, but that was, you know, but it was. It was like, wow, it was a it was a genuine reaction. Mm. But I also wondered how Tim and I were going to get along, and I've told him this, so it's not like he's going to listen and be pissed off. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I first stepped in there and started wanting to change things and, oh, I feel like he would do this and I feel like he would do that. and mm. I think he was being very protective of, of Ben because Ben is really – like we'll we'll work with you and listen to you and go okay cool yeah maybe maybe and you know like and yeah. try and help you out. But Tim was like oh I don't know about you know maybe you know. and uh, I thought that Tim and I were going to have a real issue, uh, which couldn't be further from the truth. But um, I thought okay cool well I'll run with that you know because I'm supposed to hate this guy anyways. But like like in the original script where it says you know Ned Kelly slaps Kennedy with a backhander. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking way he's gonna backhand him like a royal duke and a yeah. fucking glove. He's gonna he's a boxer, he's gonna king hit that fucking prick. And they were Tim was like, oh nah, nah. So we'll just fucking just let me do it and see what you think. Um yeah, and then we didn't even try the other way. Mm. But um that seems like uh it it seems like another one of those things that Ben was really hung up on about as well, which is like the the dedication to the historical accuracy of it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and it's one of those. It's kind of like that's such a good dedication to have because totally. it's honest. But there's a whole lot of middle that probably doesn't need to be super accurate, like hundred percent. Right. Yeah, I don't think you're being unfaithful to the material or to the stories of the people that you know were affected by what happened. Mm. Well. I- you're right, but fortunately, like that scene was when no one else was there anymore. So the rest, all, all that scene was Ben's imagination. Yeah, because no one saw that. That's true as well. Yeah. yeah, you know. So I was like, okay, cool. I've got a bit of a pass here to try a couple of different things. Mm. Um. Yeah, and and I mean, and testament to those boys. I've said this many times. That's that's filming that final scene on that day was quite an emotional scene. Um. Like what a what a beautiful little set to be on when everyone's crying at the like the yeah. the, the um soliloquy that he sort of did at the end there just for the just for the cast you know just to set the tone yeah so interestingly enough Pem trained crews how to activate the same organs 
on certain motions of scenes when they're filming so that everyone in the room is channeling the same energy. All right. And you don't have okay. a situation where, um, you know, people are cracking jokes in the background when it's, when it's a heavy scene and you're like, mate, shut the fuck up. You know, like yeah. I know you're not an actor or whatever, but I'm trying to cry here and you're fucking farting and yeah. doing poop jokes, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Or whatever. Like everyone's trained in that same technique, whether you're an actor or not. You can get a it whole. It sounds like courtesy, doesn't it? Does it? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but especially on the low end, you know, when no mm. one's getting paid and whatever. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon sure. we could probably wrap it up there, mate. Yeah. Easy. What do you reckon? Yeah, thank you very much for the. Mate, I really appreciate you coming down. That, anytime. Anytime. You know, you're just down the road as well. Am I? Good. Where are you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in Frankston anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so, thought you were in Franger. Yeah, no, I moved to Paran. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it fucking is. So <laughs> that is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> nice one, dude. Yeah. No. No worries. Can I look in the camera once? Yes. I have a look. All right, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy.